Welcome to Finest Work Songs. My name is Matt. My name is also Matt. Here on Finest Work Songs, we just love to talk classic music, classic albums. Sometimes it's an album that is universally loved, universally acclaimed, critically acclaimed. Sometimes it's something that's a little bit more off the beaten path. At the end of the day, what we just love to do here on Finest Work Songs is talk about classic music. So we got our 100 celebration, Matt. What do we have lined up for that Oh my gosh, we've got parties. We've got... <laughs> have we rented out anything? Yeah, we've been a couple. We've got some hotel conference rooms rented out for the Finest Work Songs convention, the annual convention. Ooh, oh, yeah, yeah. All the fans come into town. It's going to be great. They keep wanting us to do appearances, and we just we got to draw the line. It's, Let us do our job here. Yeah. Let us cook. Yeah, 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 that's right. It only takes a few months after a phrase comes into popular culture, like, let them cook, that we ruin it. Completely run it into the ground. <laughs> like a bunch of dads. <laughs> But yeah, no, we've got our, our 100th coming up, so we got some fun things planned for that. And maybe the most exciting part <laughs> about our 100th Epipod is we're offering you the chance, if you are so inclined, to purchase a Finest Work Songs t-shirt. So we're taking orders for those. You can find the order form on our social media channels, whether it's LinkedIn. Not LinkedIn. <laughs> we're all LinkedIn. <laughs> uh, let's get on LinkedIn. <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> Twitter slash X, Threads, Facebook. And I think it's also on our link tree. And what's it say on it? Is it like, melting pot, dip it? <laughs> or does it have one of our taglines? got our logo on the front and on the back. It says, still humping around after all these years. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> Which people are like, wait, what? Wait, what you got to go back. You got to dig yeah. in. Yeah, you get your choice of humping around or maybe dropping the deuce since 2019. Yep. Another tagline. Another tagline. Season no, yeah. two. Yeah. What else did we have? Those are the fan favorites. Our season nine tagline. Oh, yeah. Rights for men. Rights for men. Hasn't really caught on. I can't really understand why. <laughs> it seems pretty timely and relevant. And yeah. I feel like it would really hit a nerve, but I guess not. So no tagline, but it does have our fabulous logo. Mm-hmm. Created by former guest Stephen Shingler. First guest. From our Neutral Milk Hotel Epipod. Seriously, though, it's just it's amazing that we're coming up on our 100th Epipod. So get your t-shirt order in. We'll keep the quote-unquote store open for a little bit. And love to have you rep Finest Work Songs. Matt, as you mentioned, Finest Work Songs is a music podcast. So what album are we reviewing today? Today we're going to be talking about Dire Straits' Brothers in Arms. Before we get to the actual music, you guys are so good to, to listen to us and to be so loyal. And you're also really good at, at occasionally sending us email and asking us questions of the heart and trying to really dig into some of life's great mysteries. And we're grateful for that. And we'd like to read some of those emails in a little segment we call Kenny Gmail. This Kenny Gmail is in response to our Willie Nelson red-headed stranger of a pod with oh, nice. previous guest Tim Hunter who joined us for that. And this comes from Carol Hernandez Fauna Corbett. I tried several natural deodorants from Sprouts. The one I now use that I like the best is the small pink one called Crystal that you show it in your picture on your post. It works great, has no odor, and lasts all day. I don't have a picture of myself using because you don't use deodorant. Did, nah. You're own natural. Yeah. You're just like, I let my natural musk let people know I'm in the room. When was deodorant invented? At what point, At what point? did people start rubbing stuff on their pits? I don't know. Because back in like the Elizabethan era, they would keep like a little 
sack of potpourri around their neck to hold up in front of their mouths when they talked closely. To, what? To, to keep the bad Are you breath. Serious? Yeah, because they weren't brushing their teeth <laughs> during the Elizabethan era. But the potpourri market was like, oh man. man. That's why all yeah. those wars started, trying to get all that spice. <laughs> spice wars. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, man, people got bad breath. We got to go to the ends of the earth to get cinnamon and stuff. For real, though, I bet there was like a potpourri baron, somebody wealthy, because they channeled in potpourri. Yeah. And now it would be like, wait, you what? You did what now? Now if somebody was like, yeah, I do potpourri. It's, yeah, you craft. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah you sell those at the farmer's yeah. market. When my kids want to go buy like art supplies and we go to like Michael's or Hobby Lobby, the potpourri aisle is like the area I stay as far away from because it makes me start sneezing. Oh, wow. It's pretty clear. 1888, Matt. Wow, that's a very specific <laughs> yeah. year. And also, that was just masking a smell. In 1903, antiperspirant was invented. Maybe that's why before then people just didn't live as long because they were like, man, this world sucks. (laughs) People be stanking. It seems that their solution was to wash regularly. Oh. Which makes sense. And now today, the industry is worth $18 billion. With a B. With a B. As in B-O. Oh, gosh. So here's one of the first ads. And this is when ads were... Oh, like smoking, it makes you healthy. No, like a whole page of copy. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, nice, it was like nice. a book or whatever. Yeah. The title is The Most Humiliating Moment in My Life. Uh-uh. And then the subtitle, When I Overheard the Cause of My Unpopularity Among Men. <laughs> oh. You got to like that time when we just essentially guilt-tripped people with marketing. Pretty much, because then by that ad, Women are like self conscious, self conscious, and men are also going like, "Wait, who stinks?" <laughs> yeah, thinking right. about it. Yeah, I love that period of time where marketing was like, "Hey, you didn't get that job. It's probably because you're ugly and, yeah. and dirty." <laughs> Here's some of his copy: "A woman's arm. Ooh. Poets have sung of it. Great artists have painted its beauty. It should be the daintiest, sweetest thing in the world, Aww. and yet, unfortunately, it isn't always. That's it. <laughs> so, if you want to keep your man." Watch those pits. Dang, dude. But listen, this lady was like a teenager when she started this whole push. Mm-hmm. And by 1927, the company had reached a million dollars. That was a lot of money. Yeah. How much is that today? I love doing that. I have my inflation calculator here. Mm. <laughs> Basically, 17.6 million. Not bad. And her great granddaughter wrote us an email about, about sprouts. Sprouts. The pink deodorant crystal. Yeah. Like you said last Epipod, Matt, you come for the music, you stay for the history. Stay for the history. <laughs> As always, we just appreciate the emails that come in. And if you want to get a, a Kenny Gmail read in a future Finest Work Songs, just send us those emails at finestworksongs at gmail.com. Next, it's time for Share Time. I'm so Share time. <laughs> oh, man. Matt, what is share time? Share time is our moment, our time to just offer up a recommendation, a referral. Maybe it's something we've read lately or listened to or watched. Just something we want to pass along to the finest work fans. And funny because like we call it share time, but we play share. <laughs> yeah, about that. Yeah, that, that wasn't share. Yeah, sure. That's not share. Matt, who was it then <laughs> if it wasn't share? 
There's not three shares for one thing. <laughs> oh, I thought that was like auto tune or something like production, like they're doubling vocals. That's or... clearly the Pointer Sisters. Oh, that's right. We talked about them. Before. <laughs> yeah, we did. Yeah, my bad. That's all right. Uh, thanks. We'll get it one time. I'm really excited about share time. Do you remember the commercials from like the 90s? It was like, I like peanut butter and I like chocolate. And they push them together and it was for Reese's Pieces when two wonderful things on their own come together. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's how I feel about this share time. Oh, okay. Anyone who's, who knows me and has listened to this for long enough knows that how much I love R.E.M. After all, this show is called Finest Work Songs. And I also love the monkeys. So I was really excited when... The lone surviving monkey, Mickey Dolan's, announced he's, he's the only one left. He's the only one left. Dang. He's recorded an EP of REM songs Radio Free Europe, Shiny Happy People, Man on the Moon, and Leaving New York. I was excited. And I probably immediately like texted you, like, oh my God. I did hear about this ahead of time <laughs> from Matt. Yeah. But also, I did not listen. Yep. Because I like to share in the moments with you. Yeah. Let me find it. Because the only thing on Apple's Shiny Happy People. I think that might be the only one release what? so far. Lame. Yeah. Because I want to hear it leaving New York. Yeah. He's like Netflix. I'm going to slow release these and get y'all. Which is pretty brave because Mickey's not a spring chicken. I mean. <laughs> he might die. <laughs> oh my gosh. Is he the Ringo? He was the drummer. He's not the Ringo because he's the drummer, but he right. feels like the Ringo. Just the nature of what I remember him being on the TV yeah, show. In the way that like Ringo is probably the happiest of the Beatles. Yeah. Mickey's probably the happiest of the monkeys. Let's hear it. Let's hear Shiny it. happy people. <laughs> Why does it sound like Tears for Fears? I could see that. I like that he monkeyed it up. He did monkey it up. It's like, I'm from the 60s. Yeah. That's what this is going to sound like. Yeah. Yeah, Matt, that really scratches the itch, huh? Yeah, it does. It's. I'm very curious to hear the other three. Like you said, particularly Leaving New York. Because yeah. one, that wasn't a huge hit. So it's It not, was a single. It was a single, but it wasn't like a, it's not something that's in like everyone's social conscious of no. REM songs. And so I'm very curious to hear the rest of those for sure. That's a good share time. You're Thanks welcome. for letting us know. Yeah. I'm sure you'll let us know when every single is released. Yes, I will. Okay. <laughs> this has been Share Time. Before we get into this album, we'd like to share a memory. So Matt, what is your memory of Dire Straits? The Christmas after this album came out, I remember getting two specific gifts that Christmas. One was this cassette and the other was a pound puppy. I don't know why I remember getting a pound puppy. I was probably too old to get a pound puppy. Yeah, at that point. It would have been like 11. Yeah, I just remember Brothers in Arms and a pound puppy. (laughs) Yeah, which is so bizarre. It was so bizarre. I'm sure I asked for the cassette because of... 
walk of life and so then when nothing. that sort of in between childhood and young being teen, a teenager, a tween. yeah i refuse to use that tween my kids try to convince me that tween is an actual thing and i'm like no it's not <laughs> yeah between that childhood and teenager experience you're listening to brothers in arms and you hear your latest trick and you're thinking yeah he's singing about my pound puppy yeah, that's right <laughs> i'm gonna teach him another trick <laughs> we'll get into it but it was also being exposed to Money for Nothing and Walk of Life. And then you get in this album, you're like, oh, there's a lot of different sounds going on this album. It's not quite as hooky the whole way through. No, no. What about you? Do you have a memory of this album? Yeah, I remember them being on MTV. Never bought the album. My mm-hmm. siblings did not have it. Mm-hmm. The first time I heard this album was last week. Never sat down and listened to it. No. Never, yeah. I don't know where this album fits. For me, when I think of this album, remember the movie The Wedding Singer? Yeah. Drew Barrymore's awful boyfriend mm-hmm. pulls up in the Lamborghini. Oh, yeah. And the door comes up on the side. Yeah, that's right. Miami Vice theme song or whatever. That dude listens to Dire Straits in my mind. <laughs> but, and we'll get into it, right? It's yeah, yeah. the production and it's the whole like MTV CD. Yeah, if you're in your late 20s at mm-hmm. that time and you have dropped $1,000 on a CD player, yeah. you listen to Dire Straits. Yeah. But other than that and MTV, it, I didn't know where it fit. No, that's fair. But it surprised me when I look back at how much Again, I think this album has matured with me, even if I think there are some parts of it that are very dated and very of its time. All right, let's take it back to 1985 then. It starts with So Far Away. Dire Straits, two brothers. For a while, they were two brothers. Yeah. Mark and David Knopfler, and then bassist John Ilsley. Started with a drummer named Pick, which, if you're a drummer, come on, man. Pick? <laughs> that's a guitarist name. Yeah, that's right. Change it to Stick. So, anyway, they're from England, got big pretty quick because yeah. on their first demo, they had Sultans of Swing, yeah. which is mind blowing. That is on your first year. Yeah, because yeah. that song is still a staple of classic rock mm-hmm. and just that he was playing guitar that well that early yeah that's crazy a friend of mine recently did a family trip to england he had an aunt who had traced their family back to leeds england yeah they did a tour of all the hot spots of leeds and most of them were mark knopfler like related that store over there that's where mark knopfler bought his first guitar oh really yeah, they love some knopfler they love leeds them. yeah yeah that's funny I wonder who else is from Leeds. Maybe nobody, that's why. Yeah, maybe that's right. But yeah, so within like a year of their demo, they're opening for Talking Heads. Bob Dylan came and saw them play in LA. He got Mark Knopfler and the drummer to come play on his next album, Slow Train Coming. Nice. Man, which is saying something, because Dylan can play with anyone. Yeah. And so there might have been something where he's searching for a sound or something new. Yeah. And it seems like Mark Knopfler fit the bill there and he was probably like oh man i love your guitar playing you you sing just like me so i don't need you to sing 
because I've got that area covered. <laughs> or he was like, we're both going to sing melody on this. And then later he just turns his own vocals down and people are like, man, Bob Dylan really sounds great on this album. He does sound like Bob Dylan. Particularly on So Far Away. Like to yeah. me, that, that's the oh, one yeah. where I'm like, oh my gosh. The like, phrasing. That's Dylan. And he sounds better than Bob Dylan. <laughs> right. He's not better. Right. It's the tone and timbre of Bob Dylan's voice, but... On pitch. Yeah, you know? right, yeah. Which, of course, is going to really upset our resident Bob Dylan expert, Dwayne Davis. Mm-hmm. I'm a cinema Marco Polo. So we're here recording. What's up, Dwayne? And we are doing Dire Straits, Brothers in Arms, and it's widely known that Mark Knopfler pulls from Bob Dylan. Like, he is a fan, and he sings like him. Mm-hmm. We're looking at the song so far away. That's one in particular that he, the phrasing and everything, and he just, you know, it's like, okay, you clearly sound like Bob Dylan. To us... And I think the world, like, he sounds better than Bob Dylan because he sounds like Bob Dylan, but he's like... He's like a good Bob Dylan. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? (laughs) (laughs) We'll see what he says. You go from unknown Mm -hmm. within a year to opening for Talking Heads and playing on a Bob Dylan album. Right. And this is Bob Dylan's Christian phase phase of albums, right? not of his life. But All right. So they record a few more albums, nominated for Grammy Award for Best New Artist in 1980. But they lose, Matt, to Ricky Lee Jones, Ooh. which I don't know who that is. But other losers in the category. So you got Dire Straits, <laughs> okay. The Knack. My Sharona. Robin Williams. What? And not the first time that a comedian has been in the category <laughs> of Best New Artist. In fact, the winner in 1961 was Bob Newhart. Huh. Another nominee was The Blues Brothers. Oh, God. <laughs> Which we didn't get into it, but we talked on the first two epipods and on social media, we talked about um, the Shine family, mm-hmm. right? And it's when Kevin Shine from Northern Ireland, they were here in the States, mm-hmm. fans of the podcast, and I got to hang out with Kevin. One of the beefs that Kevin had with you and I, Matt, <laughs> was our distaste for the Blues Brothers. Yeah. He says it's great. And my whole thing was like, if you showed it to your kids, and I haven't done this yet, yeah. Kevin, but I promised him. If I show it to my kids. No context. No just context. Like, yeah. Just show that to them. Would it hold up? And he claims it, it, it would. His boys love it. Gosh. Yeah. We'll see. Here's some other best new artists. 1973, Matt. You got Loggins and Messina. Sure. The Eagles. Nice. Harry Chapin. Mm-hmm. John Prine. Wow. That's a strong. That's strong. And the winner, America. Of course. Horse with no name, baby. <laughs> but yeah, some of these you look back and think, y'all missed it. And that's one of those years. 1979, Matt. Toto. Sure. Chris Rea. Don't know who that is. Elvis Costello. Okay. The Cars. And the winner, Uh A Taste of Honey. What? So what you're saying is, like, don't put a whole lot of stock in whether you win Best New Artist or not, because there are some swings and misses. But The Cars. Yeah. How did The Cars, which I've maintained is the strongest three opening tracks on any debut debut album. album. One more, Matt. 1992. Okay. We got Seal. Okay. Color Me Bad. Boys to Men. All bangers. With the winner that year. Man, I am tonight. Walking in Memphis. <laughs> well, they call him the goat for a reason. <laughs> You're not breaking through the cone zone. No, man. Yeah, so anyway, that was. <laughs> so they did not win that Grammy in 1980. All right, so they had ups and downs. They experiment with some albums, and but at the end of 1984, that epic year in music that mm-hmm. we've yep. talked about, they go to uh, George Martin's Air Studios in Montserrat, which is an island, to record Brothers in Arms, and added a full-time second keyboardist, 
Because one keyboard is just isn't enough. Oh, man. Can't keep up with Mark Knopfler with <laughs> two hands. Yeah, it's crazy that they wanted another keyboard because they had this guy, Alan Clark, who joined the band in 1980. He's played with Phil Collins, Bo Diddley, George Harrison, Pet Shop Boys, Matt, oh. Van Morrison. The story of him joining the band is really funny, Matt. Okay. It's like the manager of Dire Straits calls him up. Alan doesn't know who he is and says, would you like to play keyboards? It's a very well-known band, but I can't tell you who it is. <laughs> If you've listened to our Tracy Chapman epipod, that's where we talk about the Nelson Mandela Festival. And Mm -hmm. Dire Straits' whole thing at that time was, we'll play this if these other bands play. But you can't tell them that we're playing. Right? What is this junior high, (laughs) hey, somebody likes you, but I can't tell you who. Do you like anybody? Yeah. They want somebody to go, wait, a well-known band? Is it Dire Straits? Is it Dire Straits? He goes and jams with the band for a few days and joins it. He's not that old, and he's also replacing an E Street band member. Because the keys player was from the E Street Band. I don't remember who that was at the time. But it sounds like he was really trying to mix things up because they also fired their drummer and brought in a a guy, Omar Hakim, and called him like, hey, can you be here the next day? He had been in the Weather Report. Matt, have you listened to the Weather Report? No. Yeah, I hadn't either. Like, I've heard of that band, Mm -hmm. but that's one of those bands that sort of flies under the radar. Right. And I'm sure that there are people out there that are like, oh, are you kidding oh, me? those best <laughs> Gets called by David Bowie, goes in the studio for one day, and this is what he lays down. Good day's work. That's Omar Akeem. Wow. I think he said that maybe back then you heard like Bowie with a guitar singing it on a demo mm-hmm. beforehand, but it was like he got the call two weeks ahead of time. Now you'll get a whole demo with computer drums. Layers. And, and yeah, beats, and everything. Yeah. But but that is iconic. And that's what happens on this album. He comes in the studio. He's the drummer that you hear on So Far Away. Yeah. Pretty much the whole album. Except for one little bit of Money for Nothing. Yeah. Which is Terry Williams. Which is Terry Williams. And Bowie wanted him to join the band, and he's like, nah, bro. I'm nah, gonna, man, I'm, I'm in the weather report. Weather report. <laughs> <laughs> Which I listened to a podcast that he maintains was the right decision. But you okay. wonder if, like, eh, is that? Really? Became Sting's drummer. Was a big jazz guy. But Matt, he also recorded the Merry Christmas album by Mariah Carey. I mean, say no more. So, does that mean he's the one on? All I want for Christmas is you. Yeah. It must be. It is fascinating because it's like, this has been your drummer. Terry Williams has been your drummer. He's not getting the sound that you want or the feel that you want. You're at George Martin's studio. And and that's the feel like you get about Mark Knopfler. It's not about us being a band. His brother was in the band and he's yeah. not anymore. Right, right. Well, there's like John Fogarty things going on. You wonder like, oh, sorry. I'm running the show here. Throughout the history of Dire Straits, John Ilsley was the, the yeah. only other permanent member. He seemed content with that relationship. And yeah. even Terry Williams flows in and out and then yeah, even then he comes back then he comes back band. as like the touring band which that's got to be kind of awkward and that would be hard not to play on an album yeah i still contend you know when we talked about before on the share time the live version of sultans of swing terry williams is just unbelievable but clearly Knopfler was like eh, that's not the sound i'm looking for yeah. on this album so he brings in amara keem kills it who kills it but it does seem like this could almost be called mark Knopfler in the dire straits it's like john mayer and I don't know that much about John Mayer, so I'm not trying to say he's controlling. Like, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. I'm saying like it could be Mark Knopfler. Yeah. It doesn't have to be Dire Straits. Yeah. Now, I'll give Knopfler credit that this could be 
Martin Knopfler and fill-in-the-blank session musicians on every single album. It doesn't seem like he quite goes that far. Like they, There is an appreciation for the band and the chemistry of a band. But if he wants a different sound, he's getting someone else to do a different sound. He's got no problem with it. And we haven't even talked yet about how incredible of a guitarist he is. This isn't your rhythm guitarist who's also the lead singer, and you've got an amazing soloist off on the side. No, he's got a serviceable rhythm guitarist yeah. off on the side while he's doing all the, the heavy lifting. That's right. The whole time. Yeah, there's a reason that he's known, mm -hmm. and he's the front man. He's just got some eye candy all around him. <laughs> it does. Speaking of eye candy, Matt, he also brings in some outside help on this album. We'll get into that, but that voice that you hear is a familiar one for a reason. Oh, yeah. This goes on forever. This is the only part of the album that Terry Williams is on. Is, but it has a great buildup, so we will start at the buildup yeah. here. Terry's like, that's me. <laughs> he's in a bar. He's pointing. He's like, that's me, y'all. That's me right there. They're like, yeah, raising their glass. And then they're like, Terry Williams. He's like, well, that's not me anymore. Oh, yeah, the rest of the song sucks. <laughs> turn it off, turn it off. <laughs> Rewind it, go back to the beginning. <laughs> Ooh, they're like, yeah, killer Phil, Terry. He's like, that's, that's Omar. <laughs> Omar's in the corner, raises his glass, winks. <laughs> I like the idea that wherever Terry Williams goes to drink, Omar goes to show him up. Look at them yo-yos, that's the way you do it. You play the guitar on the MTV. That ain't working. We talked earlier about how there are parts of this album that are like such a snapshot in time. This, to me, is so quintessentially 80s. Not only is he talking about you know MTV, they're repeating the MTV like tagline, I want my MTV. Right. The video was very 80s, very early computer animation. But and then like the whole sound that Knopfler was going for on this was the quote, the ZZ Top sound. Right. I never thought about it until I read that, and I was like, that is absolutely ZZ Top. That, I mean, that came to mind. Did it come to you immediately? Not back then, but really? when we started doing this album, as soon as that riff came on, I was like, that's ZZ Top. Yeah. And it's not just ZZ Top in tone. It's the feel. Yeah. It's not super fast. You don't think of ZZ Top as playing super fast. No. They groove. That's what that does. It's He's got, got that, that groove. groove on. This is obviously pre-internet. You couldn't just go on and Google and go to Wikipedia and see who all played or yeah. guessed it on. I remember being like, oh my God, that's Sting. It's got to be Sting, right? Because it's such a distinctive voice. And then reading that Sting gets songwriting credits for this as well. 
because of that intro, but then also because of on the outro when he's singing, I want my MTV, mm-hmm. it's to the tune of Don't Stand So Close to Me. And of course, the way it came down is so 80s. Yeah. There at George Martin, producer of the Beatles, his studio in Montserrat, which I don't know where that is. I just know it's an Caribbean. Island. According to Mark Knopfler, he'd seen the police on MTV doing the whole like, I want my MTV. And according to him, he said, if I set that to the notes of Don't Stand So Close to Me, it'll work. So he's saying like, he came up with the idea of Sting <laughs> singing it to that. Or right. And he said, I remember saying to the guys, I'd really like to get Sting to do this. And one of them said, that's fine because he's here on holiday. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, wouldn't you just walk in normally in normal conversation and just be like, hey, do y'all know Sting's here? Like that never came up. You have the information. You don't <laughs> share it. But then it comes up at the opportune time. Because apparently Sting, which also very 80s, loved to windsurf. <laughs> so he was there in Montana. That's why his hair was so windswept and blonde. <laughs> yeah. yeah now why. it makes sense. That's why he was in that double mint commercial. <laughs> they were windsurfing. That's where his love of trying to save the turtles came from. Was <laughs> Dream of the blue turtles. Yeah. <laughs> He's like Moana. He is. <laughs> the original Moana. Sting's version of the story is like, George invited me over to the studio, and yeah. I went in there, and I was like, who are these guys? It was like, it was me, George, it was Steven Spielberg. It was probably like 15 different like famous people that he's hanging out with. Yeah. And he's like, and I walked in the studio, I was like, hey, you know it'd be cool? What if I sang it like this? And I did it in one take. Yeah. And then I hopped on my windsurfing board and wrote the lyrics to Dream of Blue Turtles, <laughs> which Omar Hakim played on. Full circle. Even the Montserrat studio is snapshot of the 80s, right? Yeah. The police recorded there, mm-hmm. Synchronicity. Paul McCartney, Rush, Rush, the Rolling Stones, Black Sabbath recorded there, Duran Duran, Mm -hmm. right after the Rolling Stones had recorded Steel Wheels, Hurricane Hugo Uh, devastated the whole thing, and the studio was never reopened. That's too bad. And there's pictures of it now online where it's basically just in disrepair. We should go record this podcast there. Let's do it. Maybe we'll run into Sting. He'd show up, you boys need a hand? (laughs) And we're good, Sting. We're good, Sting. You also can't talk about this song without talking about the video, which was mind-blowing at the time for the like computer animation. Yeah. Now it looks ridiculously elementary and silly. But at the time, it was like, oh my gosh. It reminds me of the time, I've, I distinctly remember playing Super Mario Brothers on the, my Nintendo mm-hmm. and thinking, there's no way it'll ever get any cooler and better than this. <laughs> like, just thinking it was the peak of technology. Yeah. And it wasn't just the computer animation. You had the half-animated cartoon drawing over them playing live. Yeah, which that's then what was, was really made famous with Aha, Take yep. On Me. I'm not going to lie. Whenever I see the Aha video still, I'm amazed by it. Amazing. Maybe it's just the execution of it, yeah. but still is just unreal. It still looks good. Whereas I feel like this one looks like... It looks cheesy 80s. Crappy Minecraft. Like Minecraft's ironic, <laughs> but this wasn't ironic. It was yeah. like, this is, yeah. this is really cool. This also had the distinction of being the first CD to sell a million copies. It was early CD technology, which we can rip on Knopfler for his kind of revolving door of musicians and stuff. But he's always had an eye for technical experimentation and pushing the technical boundaries. He insisted on recording the whole thing digitally, which at the time... The technology was not to where it's... And I think that's part of the issue with it is it just sounds digital. Yeah. But also then the whole CD industry jumps on it because it was recorded digitally. Mm -hmm. And so now then they can show you this album and Dire Straits seemed poised in the industry to become the first album to sell 
a million CDs yeah. because they had been invented, but it was all about classical music, partly because also a CD player in 1985 cost $1,000. Yeah. Right. which today is close to $3,000. Yeah. And so the only people who had them were wealthy people. Mm-hmm. At that point, they're just buying them and listening to classical music. I'm picturing Clark Griswold's neighbors in Christmas Vacation. Yes. Why is the carpet wet? Why is the carpet Todd. wet? Todd. Todd. Yeah, I don't know, Margo. <laughs> yeah, that's who had a CD player back yeah. then. And then because it was all recorded digitally, it feels like perfect storm yep. of excess. Excess and technology and technology. innovation coming yeah. together at one point. I don't know, man. He just seems the type of guy who would be the first one to go, oh, that pedal can replace a whole warm sound of an amp? Right. Sure. Yeah. I'll do it. Yeah. I don't know how we talk about the lyrics of this song. Oh, boy. Without getting in trouble. We didn't do it. We didn't do it. (laughs) That's right. I do give a little bit of grace for two reasons. One. This will be good. Here we go. Go ahead. (laughs) It's of its time, which doesn't forgive it, but it does at least frame where it was coming from but it's also he's trying to tell a story from the perspective of kind of a blue collar salt of the earth hard-working guy who's delivering refrigerators and microwaves and is annoyed because he's having to work hard and you've got these rock stars like mark Knopfler, yeah who, which he claims is a real conversation i don't know about the story it feels a little bit like covering your butt it does because also he's known for writing characters but then where he doesn't get a pass is like years later you know he's okay maybe i shouldn't use that word which he uses three times <laughs> yeah and he changes it to queenie that was his like, okay, I'm going to make it not as bad. No, you just doubled down and made it worse. <laughs> right. <laughs> Again, being something of its time, this says more about me. I don't remember first hearing it and going, whoa. I remember going, oh, yeah, because it was just a word that was unfortunately used a lot. Molly Ringwald says it in 16 Candles. Right. This 80s darling. Yep. First of all, I didn't even know what he was saying. I wasn't like, what's that mean, mama? Bundle of sticks because he's British? <laughs> That's right. Because I also didn't know he was British. Uh, I yeah, did not sure. know they were from the UK. Sure. I yeah. don't know why I would have. They kind of have this American bluesy roots sound. Sounds very American. From the video, particularly for Walk Alive, I was convinced that was Little Steven on rhythm guitar because he's got the headband and he looked like him. What if Little Steven was like super mad that somebody <laughs> else is wearing headbands? That's my thing. That's my thing. Trademark. I wear scarves. Yeah, I'm Little Steven. This whole episode could be about money for nothing. Yeah, just right. There's so much to talk about, but let's move on. Next song we're going to cover is Walk of Life. So my other memory, fifth grade, Miss Bradham's class, she allowed us to do a talent show. <gasps> Me and Clay and Brandon, and I forget who the fourth person was, and my apologies, 
we decide to lip sync to Walk of Life. Yes. With me on guitar, uh-huh. which was a tennis racket. Oh my gosh, I wish that video existed. We rehearsed. We got together. To, yes. I was lip syncing and doing air guitar on a tennis racket. Our big moment came. We get in front of the classroom. I got so embarrassed and we could not stop laughing because it was such a ridiculous thing to, to do. That also has a pretty long intro. You did the whole song? We made it through probably like the first verse before we scattered laughing and giggling because it was so silly. But I'm still kind of scarred from that because it was pretty embarrassing in hindsight because I was like, you know what? (laughs) What what are we doing up here? Did someone like mime playing the drums and stuff? I think so. I think we had someone. sitting down? I've blocked a lot of it from my Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's buried deep. The song was huge. The video was huge. 10-year-old kid, 11-year-old kid. Sports bloopers, mid-80s. That was right in my wheelhouse. Was this played with sports bloopers? Yeah, the video was all sports bloopers. Oh, that's right. The first two-thirds of the video are sports bloopers, and the last that's part right. of it are sports That's successes. why I thought they were American. Yeah. It sounds like a baseball stadium, Oregon. Exactly. And the whole field. He's talking about Bebopalula. And, and then the video starts out contrasting baseball players putting their uniforms on and Knopfler's putting his wristbands on. Yeah, it's baseball. It's not cricket. How would I know you're British? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> now, I always have to bring an pod back to North Carolina if I okay. can. How are you going to do it, man? I counted. There are three North Carolina-related athletes in the Walk of Life video. Oh. One, I believe one, is Meadowlark Lemon, former Harlem Globetrotter. And he's from? Uh, he was born in Wilmington, grew up in Wilmington. Nice. At the end, when it's the more celebratory part of the song, you get Michael Jordan dunking. And he's from North Carolina, Matt. Yeah, have you heard of him, <laughs> Michael Jordan? And then a very short shot, it looks to be the 1985 Lakers, which had on the team, I won't say he played a lot, but on the team was seven-foot-something Chuck Nevitt, who played basketball at NC State and was known as the Human Victory Cigar. Because they up- would smoke him? <laughs> Weird. He ended up being on like multiple championship teams, although he rarely played. He That's just, amazing. So yeah, so there you go. Ding. Yeah, way to I go. I did it. I did it. Matt, for probably 20 years growing up, I thought it was walk on by. Because <laughs> the way they sing it, yeah. you don't hear the hard F or anything no, you like don't. that. So I was like, yeah, you do the walk on by. Yeah. And even though the title came up at the end of the video, it was like, Walk of Life by Dire Straits. I'm like, yeah, yeah I walk love my Walk of Life when they talk about walking on by. What? That's fantastic. Matt, as a lyricist, the things we've talked about are like Private Dancer. And then he's got the song on here, Your Latest Trick. Yeah, yeah. He writes about such seedy, yeah. weird characters. It's like yeah. he's drawn to these people in the in the margins. We've talked in the past, particularly the last two seasons, about how in the 70s people loved gypsies. He seems to be drawn, like you said, to these kind of seedy... Prostitutes. Prostitutes. <laughs> Women of the garbage night. Garbage men. Men of the night. <laughs> the garbage men of the night. And he's drawn clearly towards country and blues, yeah. which lends itself to stories and songs related to people in the margins or people trying to overcome. I think that's why he can get a little bit of a pass for some of the lyrics, because I think he's trying to tell stories from their perspective. I don't know if I give him a pass because he's just, you know, speaking of Dylan, he doesn't paint a picture of like Dylan does. Also, let's see if Dwayne has responded. Oh, yeah. Okay, here he is. Let's just put this thing into a little bit of perspective, okay? Mark Knopfler would still be working in a factory in Leeds if he hadn't put a little Bob Dylan in his record player and decided to get into music. Furthermore, the highlight of his life I mean, this guy, the apex of his career uh, was backing up Dylan on Slow Train Coming. I mean, that was just like a the student 
getting as close to the master as he possibly can. Furthermore, as we all know, as all three of us know, there's not a person who covers Dylan as well as Dylan's original. So make sure this truth makes it into that podcast. Let it be known to the world that you've consulted and been enlightened and uh, look forward to listen to it. <laughs> Good stuff. <laughs> the student becomes the master. Whereas we were just like, yeah, Bobby D's flailing and he's looking for a new sound. So yeah, he pulls right. Mark Knopfler in. <laughs> I don't know if I'd go so far as... Knopfler would not have become anything. He's a pretty good guitarist. So you've got this first side of kind of MTV-friendly, rootsy rock, arena rock, and the second side, almost exclusively anti-war, and then it closes with Brothers in Arms. Through these fields of destruction Baptisms of fire I've witnessed your suffering As the battle reached high And though it was so bad In the fear and the I think Knopfler wrote this song in the midst of the Falkland Wars, which as Americans, we look back and go, the Falkland Wars, what what was that? Knopfler's sort of trademark is sings a verse, does some crazy licks and riffs on the guitar. What I like about it on Brothers in Arms, the song, he's not just shredding on these licks. There's some restraint to it that I think fits the mood of the song. I don't remember the song. It was their third single. Third single. And Uh, it won a Grammy for Best Music Video. So I don't remember the music video for this Which, song. It didn't have sports bloopers, so I wasn't there for it. God, and amazing. war bloopers. How amazing without a People fan. like shooting their foot. That's, <laughs> that's terrible. I'm sorry. <laughs> but also, what a Grammy for best music video. We didn't care about the Grammys for best music video. <laughs> right. If it's not an MTV <laughs> music video award, yeah. we're not even we're not here for it. <laughs> Grammy. <laughs> Yeah, I, don't, I didn't know there was a video for them. I'm sure it was Deep. war footage, spliced with them playing live or something, because yeah. that, that's how their videos were. But it seems to be a song that has resonated over the years and often played at British military funerals. A few years ago, the British Marine Band, I think I'm probably butchering that, did a, a performance of it. What stands out to me in this song, in this version, the guitarist kills it. First of all, the guy's dressed like a Marine. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah, all in full yeah. uniform. <laughs> Playing a Les Paul. It's hard to do note for note with Martin Knopfler. Kudos to that guy. Yeah. Yeah, so Dire Straits, I still don't understand them. They've got this <laughs> pub rock background, so they have this sort of working class feel combined with a guy in a Don Johnson shirt, like <laughs> cutting the CD in half and using it to do his coat. I don't know. It's just a weird 80s moment. They play Live Aid. Mm-hmm. They're called the biggest band in the world. They're one of the biggest bands and then they just break up. It's not Fleur's interests take them a different way. It's not as radio-friendly. They become a distant memory in a lot of ways. What other bands were this big when they called it quits? You could argue the police. Yeah. Sting was chasing the same thing. Yeah. He just wanted to do it 
on his own way. Yeah. yeah. But Knopfler didn't go do that. He didn't go become Mark Knopfler by himself. He went and created that weird country band. Yeah. Reforms Dire Straits for a bit. Mm-hmm. But then he's like playing with Chet Atkins, playing with Emilio Harris. Yeah. He's just doing his thing as Mark Knopfler. But mm-hmm. whereas Sting wanted to be Sting. Yeah. He wanted to go yep. become mm-hmm. even bigger. Knopfler was chasing the art. I think more than the persona. Chet Atkins, Emmylou Harris. Yeah. You're not positioning yourself with them to get bigger than Dire Straits. Right, yeah, exactly. I came into this and leave it a little confused about Dire Straits. Not in a bad way. Yeah. Like, it's fine. It's not my thing. It is, it's a moment in time. Mm-hmm. It's very 80s mm-hmm. and very locked into it, both from the production and the playing and the moment in time that we were exposed to them. I do think and contend that there are moments on this album that I feel like I appreciate more now mm-hmm. than I did then, which I think, again, speaks to... All the coke you're doing. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Before we wrap up, Matt, it's time for Sleepers. Wake me up before you go, go. Don't leave me hanging on like a yo-yo. These are songs that are not on the iTunes Essentials. They are not released as singles. Mm-hmm. They have flown under the radar, and people... You need to wake up. That's right. We've got a Sleepers playlist on our Finest Work Songs Spotify account. So, Matt, what is your Sleepers nomination? My Sleepers nomination off Brothers in Arms is Right Across the River. Gonna ride across the river, deep and wide. Of all the songs about British imperialism, this Uh one might be my favorite. Okay, that's saying a lot. I think he does his little sing a little bit, do some cool licks. And I think even though it is very of its time and dated with some of the percussion and keyboard sounds, that would be my sleepers. Okay. Now it's time for your senior quote. Senior yearbook, underneath your picture, you you get to choose a quote, represents the journey you've been on, the road that lies ahead, or some inappropriate Mark Knopfler (laughs) lyric. Yeah, Matt, what's your senior quote from Brothers in Arms? It's from So Far Away, and it's the very first line, here I am again in this mean old town, and just leave it at that. Mm. Yeah, I'm getting out of here. I'm leaving this place. Okay. I didn't know what to pick. It's kind of hard on this one. I would be reaching for something that was meaningful. Yeah. So from your latest trick, I don't know how it happened. It all took place so quick. Yeah. That's a good <laughs> Which, one. Which, you know, and that one is like about something really shady. Yeah. But it would be like, the years flew by in this high school. the best four years of my life. Yeah. <laughs> Love y'all. <laughs> Peace. As always, we appreciate the engagement with all of the Finest Work fans. You can follow us and engage with us on social media, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, X, or Instagram. Check out our website, finestworksongs.com, and send us those emails, finestworksongs at gmail.com. I will see you next time for number 100. 100. Order yourself a t-shirt. Get ready for the celebration. It's going to be big. We'll get you tickets. See you at the Melting Pot.
Our theme song is by the incredible band Medium Heat. This track is called Radio, and you should check them out at mediumheat.bandcamp.com. And check out any upcoming shows if you are in the Raleigh area. They are on Facebook at Medium Heat Music. 